Hey, good morning, gang. How are you? Good to be here with you this morning for our Christ Hold Fast devotion. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're coming to the end of the book. I think next week we'll be officially done with 1 Peter, and then i got to figure out what we're going to do next. By the way, um, I'm open to taking requests, so if you have something that you'd like to go over next, uh, don't be afraid to comment and drop it in the notes, and I'll... Um, I'll at least consider it if I if I think I can tackle it. Uh, so, uh, hi Bonnie. Uh, so grab your cup of coffee. You you might need it today. Um, I know I do. Or if you're like my co-pastor and friend, weirdo Bruce, you can grab your tea. Um, whatever you need to get caffeinated for the day. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. And we're going to be talking about the devil today. A topic that I think a lot of, um, well, well, I think there's a good number of churches that either don't talk about it or talk about it too much. Talk about him. So, uh, I think the Christian does tend to go to two extremes when it comes to the devil. On the one hand, there are those who see the devil behind every problem, every sickness, every possible negative thing in the world. And as a result, oftentimes, I think in the person's mind, the devil becomes vastly more powerful than the scriptures say he is. So, you know, you stub your toe, it was the devil, you watch a TV show, you're convicted to stay away from, the devil made you do it. Uh, what becomes convenient, of course, about that view of the devil is it keeps a person from actually having to take responsibility and therefore avoid real accountability for their sinful actions. And that's a problem because the Bible says in James chapter 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Notice, James does not say anything about the devil making you do anything. He can tempt you with something that your sinful nature already wants or desires, but the problem mostly comes from within. On the other hand, the more and more common mistake, I think, of modern, western, civilized, oh-so-intelligent Christians is to dismiss or at the very least diminish the role of a devil at all. After all, you know, one might say these were primeval people trying to come up with some way of communicating their struggles with guilt and temptation, so they came up with a villain figure. I think that's actually a real quote, by the way. And sure, maybe some did, um, the mistake of the people I just mentioned, but that in no way detracts from the possibility of his reality. And besides, if one says they are a Christian, then it's pretty hard to get around the fact that the devil is mentioned an awful lot as a real entity all over the scriptures. Jesus mentions him constantly and confronts him constantly. Indeed, he's mentioned in every single book of the New Testament. That's true. So the extreme views within the church about the devil are either too much credit or no credit at all. But there's a third mistake, and I would guess that you make this one, because I know I do. And it's in between the two. It's the sort of moderating position that I think can be even more dangerous, and it's this. 
you acknowledge the devil's real on paper, like you'd sign the statement of faith that asks you if you believe the devil's real. Yes, I believe the devil's real. But you live as if he isn't. So you, you catch that. You believe it, you say you do, but you live as if he isn't real. So now, with all that said by way of introduction, let's listen to our text tell us how to handle the devil's attacks, how to live as if the devil indeed is real and coming after us, as the passage will say. First thing, verse 6 of chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. First thing Peter wants you to be aware of is the enemy's ability to make you anxious. Isn't that interesting that that's connected here? That when Peter will go on in this passage in just a bit to talk about the devil being a lion that seeks to devour you, one of the ways that he seeks to devour you is by making you anxious, is to fill you with anxiety. Um, we're anxious about all sorts of stuff in our modern world, constantly, constantly, constantly about our jobs, our parenting, our kids, our houses, our health, our cars, our dogs, our hamsters, our clothes, our image, our, you know, like whatever, everything. And we can't even help it. And the reason we can't help moving toward anxiety is because we live under the illusion of being in control, which is, I think, the ultimate modern value, being in control, presenting a sense of being in control of your life. And anxiety goes away when we feel like everything's under control, when we've planned enough and covered the bases enough, when we feel safe and secure. But again, that's an illusion. And deep down, we know it. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan or cover the bases. It's not that. But it does mean we have to place those things in the proper perspective. Recognizing the truth of the proverb that says many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And yet the interesting paradox of this anxiety, and this is, of course, Peter is not talking necessarily about um, anxiety that can be medicated. He's not talking about um, <clears throat> that particular. He's talking about anxiety that any of us would have on any given day. Um, that anxiety can be, and this is where the devil, devil can be tricky, the anxiety actually can be, if we're not careful, a form of pride. Isn't that interesting? Um, as much as we seek to rid ourselves of it, there's also part of us that fiercely holds on to anxiety, and the reason at the bottom, according to Scripture, is pride. That's why Peter makes the contrast, humble yourselves by casting your anxieties upon God. So, see, I think a lot of the time when we're anxious and we're worried and when we're, we're really getting stressed out about something, it makes us feel like, okay, I'm doing my part. At least I'm not just relaxing here while the world is, you know, going. <laughs> I won't say much more about yesterday, but while you feel like the world is just exploding around you, uh, it's very easy to kind of want to find your worth in being anxious about it and twiddling your thumbs. But Peter says, no, that's actually, that's the opposite of humility. Humility is trusting in God to handle your life, not listening to the voice of the devil that tells you that you can handle your life. You can't. 
God can. The devil loves it when people think that they got it covered. There's nothing the devil loves more than to watch somebody pull up their own, themselves by their own bootstraps. That's the devil's favorite thing in the world. If he can make you anxious about fixing yourself and fixing everybody else, he has won the day. Hooray for him. Like that is his victory. Instead, Peter says, no, no, no. You humble yourselves before God. And that, it stifles the enemy's mental attack. The enemy can't take you down if you submit your anxieties and your worries to the Lord. But on the other hand, um, he goes on, verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So again, Scripture gives us this perfect balance. On the one hand, we're told to be sober-minded. On the other hand, we're told to be watchful. To be sober means to stay calm. Don't give in to the anxiety. Stay calm. While being watchful means, at the same time, be vigilant or be alert. So we don't freak out about the devil or give him too much credit because he's a defeated foe. Remember, 1 John 4, 4 tells us that's that very clearly. When Jesus said it is finished, it really meant it's finished. But we don't ignore the devil either because we recognize that he is indeed like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the balance here. So, when you're tempted, remember that word that says to fight back against the devil, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will let you be tempted. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be, may be able to endure it. When you give in to temptation and you fail and the devil does his accusing work, which that's literally what the word devil means, accuser, and he comes at you accusing you because you gave in again, remember the word that tells you in 1 John chapter 2 that if anyone does sin, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When you are tempted to despair, Remember that word that tells you in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, that uh, as Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. You want to fight back against the devil, you gotta, that's, you got to hear that word. You got to hear that word, and that word needs to be preached into your ear holes all the time. That's the word that will give you the power against the devil, because the devil wants to make you believe that life is not going to be great one day. He wants to make you believe that all that is going on wrong right now, all the things that drive you nuts and make you anxious, are what life is about. And he wants you to start working on it, to fix it yourself. And instead, scriptures. Scripture's uh, imperatives to us are, no, 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 give up. <laughs> give up, give up, and go to the Lord. Remember his word. Okay, let's close it up. Verse 10 and 11, Peter, it's sort of like Peter first talks about the mental attacks that the devil can make on us, but now he talks about the physical attacks. And after you have suffered a little while, verse 10, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in this last statement, Peter, I think, gives us three 
great reasons for for how, why we can endure the suffering that will come to us in this world if if we're the devil's attacks are manifested that way in a physical way number one he reminds the church that had been persecuted and he reminds us that no matter what we go through we're not alone and i can't tell you how significant that is to be reminded that you're not alone when you're going through the pit I, I, I always think of uh, the prophet Elijah after a great victory over the false prophets of Baal. He knows he's going to be in trouble with the corrupt king, so he runs away. And he really believes in his mind at the time that he is the only righteous dude left in the kingdom, which I, that is such like a sad sack moment. It's so hilarious to me. It's, it was like, it's just me now, Lord. All the other righteous people must have left. It's just me. And God, in his grace, instead of giving in to Elijah's sad sack ways, says, do you understand that there's 7,000 more of you in Israel that I've left, that all the knees have not bowed to Baal, Elijah, and every mouth has not kissed him? It's another way of saying to Elijah, you're not alone. You're never gonna, you're never alone. When you're going through the suffering, the devil wants to tell you, it's just you. It's just you, especially if you've inflicted that suffering on yourself by your dumb sin. He wants to tell you, it's just you. He wants you to believe that more than anything else. And instead, Peter says, no, no, no. Remember, you're not on your own. You're not on your own. You've got, a, you've got the body of Christ that you're connected to. And there's a bunch of people, I promise you, that are going through a lot of the same crap that you are. That's real. Number two. He says, suffering is temporal. No matter how bad it gets here, always remember this life is indeed short. I've been a pastor now for 11 years. I've gotten to minister to lots of people on their deathbeds. And here's one thing they all say to me at some point in my conversations with them. And that is that life is far too short and it goes way too fast. That's it. Now, they might be ready to go by then. They might be tired of being sick, but they will talk about their, their children growing up like that. They will talk about their marriage of 50 years going like that. It's, it, as the writer to Ecclesiastes says, life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's that quick. And so when we're suffering, we need to be reminded, as Peter reminds us here, that it's temporal. No matter how bad it gets, he says it's just for a little while. It's just for a little while. Uh, and that might just encourage us to persist when the devil's attacks become physical. And then thirdly, Peter reminds us that God has called us to an eternal glory in Christ. The eternal glory awaits us. Suffering is one of the things that all of us will endure on our road to glory. But what will glory look like? Well, it will be a place where God restores us. That's the word Peter uses here. And the word was used often to describe a doctor resetting a broken bone. Whatever has been broken in your life, here's the point. Somehow, God will bring healing to it in heaven. He's going to reset it all. That which has been broken and destroyed and seemingly unable to be put back together. Part of what heaven is, is God putting it all back together. It's restoration. 
He will confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's going to make you immovable. So even, it's like, you know, the devil thought his best attack ever was when Jesus Christ went to the cross. He must have felt like it was the greatest victory of his career. The Son of God is suffering up there. He must have laughed with glee. But in fact, through in that suffering that he, in, um, that he brought or sought to bring to the Son of God, in fact, he didn't know it, but he was being used to accomplish God's wonderful purposes. And the same thing is ultimately true in your life. <clears throat> yes, you may suffer. Yes, you may be tempted. Yes, you will fall. And yes, he will accuse you. And yes, the devil is real and he'll come after you. But through all of it, God will work through it to make you immovable, establish you, so that you will one day rule and reign with your king and his kingdom will have no end. All right, folks, that's it for me today. Uh, we'll see you next week with the conclusion of First Peter. Thanks for watching. God bless.